another Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzig. Steve, we've got an audience with us today. This is amazing, Chris. <laughs> we've got a great audience. Look at all those people out there. Yeah, round of applause for you. Yeah. See, they're here. Excellent. Well, anyway, we got a great show for you. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Israel and Gaza for our listeners who are, aren't able to be with us. Uh, we're going to look at some newish Jewish encyclopedia. Newish Jewish encyclopedia. But, Chris, I got some bad news for Pastor Neil. Okay. Go you ahead. You know, when we had a remote in Dallas, uh, we did the book of Daniel. Uh, we also talked a little bit about Gaza, as I remember. That's right. Uh, well, uh, we got a phone call from Cindy. Maxwell, who uh, contacted us and said that there are several people interested in Gaza. So there's so much information coming out of Israel. This isn't a repeat. It's actually an expansion of the things we talked about in the past. So if you're one of our seven listeners, don't turn it off. That's right. Don't say, oh, these guys talked already. No, we talked about this. Well, they we're know gonna... we talked already. <laughs> it's just what we said. It's a lot of hot air. <laughs> a lot of hot air. Okay, so um, yes, we've got a fantastic audience of people. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of the episode for the Jew and Gentile podcast and showing concern for Israel and the Jewish people. There's a lot for us to talk about, um, especially with the new um, uh, revelations of information coming out of the United States and how the United States is relating to Israel right now. Um, what started off as great support for Israel and the Jewish people after October 7th has kind of begun to dwindle down Chris, to uh, we're um, not, we're not pessimism. We're not prophets, are we? We're no, not, not at all. In order to be a prophet, you have to be 100% accurate according to the Torah and the book of Deuteronomy. But we find out, uh, you and I predicted, we predicted doesn't mean we're smart, but we predicted uh, that indeed we were thankful for the United States, but now it's looking as though, well, maybe it's not so good. The election is coming, and uh, it, there's, there's folks who in one particular party, the Democratic Party, that don't like the messaging going on, and so there's pressure. And there's Democrats, a Jewish and Gentile Democrats, who feel that pressure and so the, those who are not so supportive of Israel and those who are, are feeling a real tension. 100%. Now, we were prophets when it came to that information. We kind of saw the writing on the wall there early yes, on. Yes, we did. We, could, we, we said early on in the podcast, all this great uh, support for Israel coming from— We were thankful. 100%. Very thankful. But over time, like what normally happens whenever Israel goes in to take care of issues in Gaza, it becomes— uh, uh, a, can you slow down? Can you pull back? Um, uh, and we're going to talk about that afresh. We will talk about that, but I will tell you where we weren't prophets. Oh boy, we were not. Pro where we failed miserably was to see that we are in the great state of Pennsylvania. Who would have thought that the Senator Fetterman would have been such an advocate for Israel? People, see, they know they're all smiling out there. Did anybody see that one coming? Uh, praise the Lord. So the Lord has a great sense of humor, okay? <laughs> and he's will he it's amazing. He's got uh flags of Israel in his office. He has gone He waves out them and, in and, the face yeah, of the people like yes, this. Yes, he you does. Know? And he talks about democracy in Israel and how it's a companion to the United States. And I, I never heard that kind of talk from uh Senator Fetterman, uh, especially when he was running. I had no idea. So 
Yes, your profits. We were awful. We were way off. That. Yeah, that's we right. We were way off. Don't ask us about future things. We're not going. Yeah, definitely. We'll leave that to the Bible. Okay, that's right. Um, so let's let's turn our focus to. Uh, do you want to start with the newest Jewish encyclopedia yeah, before before we start on a topic that's going to be very difficult? Let's just start off with. I have this book, the newest Jewish encyclopedia. I love this so, book. Uh, it's got a lot of interesting stuff. Last week we talked about bageling. Bageling. Do y'all know what bageling is? If if you think it has to do with spreading or smearing cream cheese on a bagel, you're wrong. It has to do with a. You ready? A judar. You know what a judar is? And this is not <laughs> us saying it. It comes out of the newest. Jewish encyclopedia. <laughs> so when we say Judar, there might be somebody here who said, that, boy, that's racist. What are you talking about? I'm ju we're just reading from this book, which talks about the Jewish people. By the way, I am Jewish, but I've learned a lot from this book. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. That's news to me. So last week we, uh, last week we did um, bageling, and we did bomba. Has anybody out there heard of bomba? Well, oh. just to review, Bamba is uh, like the peanut butter uh, Cheetos. Cheetos, peanut butter Cheetos. And by the time a child is four years old in, in Israel. Israel, they would have eaten 712 pounds of peanuts. <laughs> Israel has the lowest incidence of uh, peanut allergies in the whole world. Why? Because our kids eat 712 pounds of peanuts. <laughs> Who does that? Well, anyway. You got another one, though. You got to go back to last week's podcast to hear about all that. that that's right. But in this one, we want to go over the different, according to, again, the newish Jewish encyclopedia. And it, it covers different branches within Judaism. Chris, uh, you were raised in a, in a Gentile home. Your mom came to faith. So you went to church at a, at a young age. Uh, and you find out as a Christian that I always thought Christians, they all believe the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Do you all believe? Uh, maybe you all believe, but in general, Christendom, they have. I, when I was growing up, there were Baptists, there were Presbyterians, there were Methodists. And for me, if, if they said they believed in Christ, I lumped them with Mormons mm -hmm. and Jehovah's Witnesses. Catholics. And Catholics and... I, all these different groups, it makes my head spin. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I get questions. Jewish people, I thought they're all the same. Are they all the same? Well, they're all Jewish, but they're not necessarily all the same. In fact, joke we've talked about many times here on the podcast is you get two Jewish people together, you get three opinions, and that's a conservative <laughs> estimate. Now, I don't know about Christianity. You get two Christians together and tell them that they've got to decide on carpeting for their church. Not going to happen. How many opinions are you going right. to get? That's right. The pastor's going to get run out. That's, that's what it is. That's right. That's right. So there are different sects within Judaism. And just to give you uh, an Which idea. Which sect did you come from? Which I sect did you grow I up I came in? from Orthodox sect. That meant that uh, we kept kosher at our home. We went to uh, synagogue on Friday night and Saturday, Shabbat. Uh, and I went to Hebrew school four days a week, Sunday school from 9 o'clock to 12. You know, your Sunday school, maybe 45 minutes. A little bell goes off, uh, you're done, you have your donuts, and then you go into the, into the main meeting, right? Some of you are shaking your head. I sat from 9 o'clock to 1230 
to in Sunday school. We had textbooks. It would, drove me crazy. <laughs> so I go four days a week to Hebrew school. I'm going to public school. I got to go to synagogue on Friday night. I got to go to synagogue on, on Saturday. And then I go to Sunday school. And then I get saved. I meet Christians who are upset. Oh, Wednesday and Sunday. It's driving me crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do. Ah, forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I came from an Orthodox background. And this is an updated version or explanation, and we're going to take a couple of sessions. Uh, this will be our first one. I'm just going to go over modern orthodox as it's written. Just how modern and how orthodox? Two, two questions. Start. Boy, very Jewish. Yep. Jewish people don't answer questions with a statement. We answer questions with a question. With a question. That's right. And by the way, Jesus was the master at doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, so it goes on. That depends on the community, on the shul, which is the synagogue, and on the person. But generally, those who adhere to this philosophy, notice they call, they call it a philosophy. I just, I don't agree with that. Do you agree with that? No. A philosophy? No, it's what you believe. We call it, in, in Christian circles, we talk, call it doctrine. Oh, Chris, you went to seminary. You went to Dallas Seminary. And when they teach Paul's writings, what does he start off with in his writings? Doctrine. Doctrine. Yeah. And what do people in the church, how do they react to that when they're in their Bible studies? No, they close their eyes, right? That, that's right. <laughs> doctrine. Doctrine. Well, Paul you, was a master. He was Jewish, got saved, and he takes the same principle uh, that he did as a Pharisee. The idea of what's your foundation what do you believe that's going to tell me what you do? In fact, Cindy, wherever she went, Cindy took off. That, boy, that happens to us all the time, especially to me. <laughs> that's why we only have seven uh, listeners. Somebody, somebody sits next to me, they listen a little while, and they... <laughs> off she goes. Uh, when we had lunch uh, with Cindy and... Marion. And Marion. Sorry. Marion said, I grew up in a home that read the Bible. Yeah. And as a result of reading the Bible, I love Israel. Yeah. Don't you love that? Isn't that amazing? That, so it's not a philosophy. There's a foundation, and the Bible is the foundation. But anyway, that's what it says. But generally, those who adhere to this philosophy believe Torah umada, Torah and worldly knowledge. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? So uh, an ortho modern Orthodox person adheres to the laws of, of the Torah and tradition, 613 laws, 613 laws, and the tradition, but they don't dress distinctively. In other words, they've adopted the culture of wherever it is they are. So in the United States, you might have a man wearing a kippah, uh, but he'd be wearing casual clothes or suit, whatever he had to do for his job or for his uh, going on vacation, you wouldn't know that he was orthodox. From a female point of view, you wouldn't know there'd be nothing distinctive about her in her dress. And the so very the, famous Ben Shapiro, if you've ever heard that name uh, before. He is, an or, he is an ortho, modern orthodox That's right, Jewish and man. he would wear a little yarmulke, and uh, when you get to be my age, you need a yarmulke to cover your bald spot, that's for sure. Uh, but either way, Torah umada is Torah and worldly knowledge, meaning that you can and should observe Judaism's laws 
while still engaging fully with the world outside. Mm -hmm. That's the way I was raised as well. Uh, Judaism was part of our life, a major part of our life. Uh, it, it affected the way we separated from our culture. We separated only in the ways we ate uh, and in the places we worshiped. But otherwise, we, I went to public school, uh, friends, Jew and Gentile friends, uh, interacted with the culture. Uh, I was raised in a home. We're Jewish. Uh, we are distinct, but we certainly embrace other people. That, that, and that's a good, uh, I think, definition of Orthodox Judaism. And one of the great languages of the Orthodox Jewish people is Yiddish. And you have a fantastic book that maybe I, you could share a quick thing from, I and then do. we're going to move into Israel-Gaza. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Well, <laughs> my mother recently passed away, and I've already talked on the Jew and the Gentile podcast about her, 99 years old, two months shy of 100, uh, praying for her for decades uh, because I've been in the ministry with Friends of Israel for 46 years. Uh, that, that means I've fooled them a long enough time, and I've lived long. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my mother, right before she passed, just literally a few hours before, received Christ as her Savior. So it's amazing. So we, yeah, oh, give, give God a hand. <laughs> I agree. Uh, anyway, we, uh, we began, uh, my mother lived in Cleveland. I have two sisters there. We began going through some of her things, and Chris knows, I found a little book of hers, which is hilarious. It's called Yiddish with Dick and Jane. Now, you, you know Dick and Jane. I know Dick and Jane. I couldn't believe it. Here's Dick and Jane. So I'll just read a short thing. Jane works in real estate. Today is Sunday. Jane has an open house. She must schlep the open house signs to the car. So schlep <laughs> means to drag along. She's got to schlep. Chris, you schlepped I along. schlepped all this stuff. All this equipment Chris sh uh, schlepped. So it, it then says... <laughs> See Jane Schlepp. Schlepp, Jane Schlepp. Schlepp, Schlepp, Schlepp. You, can't you make... said you got two hernias from schlepping I, so much that's stuff. That's right. I, I'm a schlepper. Bob takes Katie and Scott to visit Jane's mother. Kate and Scott visit grandmother a lot. She has been feeling dick. Ibital dick lately. What's ibital dick? I don't know. I've never you know heard what that. it means. No. Oh, you feel a little oh yeah yeah you know right here in the gut. I'm yeah. feeling like I I might get sick. I'm, I'm out of out of the weather. You know it's not. I ate something strange. So she's been feeling ibital dick. See Stanley. He's Jane's boss. He comes to the open house. He puts fresh flowers and scented candles everywhere. He's a shtickle artist and just has that gift. So the question is, what is shtickle? Yeah, what is a shtickle? It, it means he's a little. It's a little. So he's a little artistic. I so, like it. So look at, you can see a picture. He's all dressed up. Oh, yeah, he's He kind of looks like you, minus the beard. 100%. Yeah, and he's, so he's into decorating and, and fixing things. So the next page. Jane likes open houses. She likes meeting new people. She even <laughs> likes the schnorrers who come just to nosh. You know schnorrers. Don't tell them. Well, I've, I don't. I remember schnorr is uh, somebody like who takes things, right? Or uh, who's not? Who takes only and never gives, gives you back. any. That's right. He's a ripoff artist. <laughs> 
and they eat. They and nosh on all the food. They take the food and they're not. In, can I contribute? Can I give? He's a schnorr. He doesn't do anything. So here's how it ends. We'll end here. Okay. Nosh, schnorrs, nosh, 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 nosh. Tell them what nosh is. Well, nosh is to eat. We just right. noshed uh, in Cindy's house a delicious exactly. lunch. Exactly. Thank you, Cindy and Marion. Okay, so look, uh, Cindy didn't bring us down here uh, to talk and let's about. Let's get Cindy back up. Here yeah, Cindy, come on back up. Cindy, come on back up. Sorry, Cindy. That's our routine for the Jew and Gentile podcast. I Thank look you. At her. She's saying, she, she what said, "What did I do? I what was I thinking? Inviting these people here." Uh, no, uh, Cindy is absolutely amazing and very, the Yiddish word we told her already is Hamish, hospitality through the roof. Uh, um, Cindy, why don't you share again, you shared with the audience here earlier, but with our podcast audience, our seven listeners, why did you, why did you decide I, we want to talk about what's going on you in had Israel a concern. and Gaza? Yeah. You shared that concern. Oh yeah. Them. Big concern. Um, just after hearing about the attack in Israel and um, wanting people to know what was true, what was really going on over there. And um, so that's what Marion and I were, were thinking about and um, talked about and decided to give you guys a call. And you lost in your draw and you got up. <laughs> that's right. All right. Well, Chris, let's start off with just how big is Gaza? I mean, how, what's the size? Israel is New Jersey. Those of you who are familiar with New Jersey, 10,000 square miles, you could drop Israel. This is the country of Israel. You could drop it into Lake Michigan. I used to live in Chicago. You could drop it into Lake Michigan, and you could get your jet ski and jet ski around the water because Israel would drop right in. You could put 16 Israels in the state of California. You can get up in the morning in the northern part of Israel and go skiing in Mount Hermon and a few hours later be swimming with the dolphins in the Red Sea. It's a very small, small country with a lot of uh, tension, Steve. It's not just tension among the Jewish people because they have their own tension as we, talk, we talked about. There's the Orthodox, there's the Conservatives, there's the Reformed, there's the Secular. They all have... The, the, all right, Suras, trouble. Trouble. Everybody's fighting amongst ourselves. Yeah, they're fighting. They've got their own issues. And then on top of that, you have what's going on in Gaza. Gaza is only about the size of Washington, D.C. It has two million people that live in in. in in Gaza. It's a very small area. But one of the things Steve and I want to do is kind of catch you up on how did we end up in this place where, where Israel is at war with Gaza? How did we end up even, let's rewind, how did we end up at October 7th? How did it get so bad that October 7th actually happened? And then we'll go from there. You know, Steve actually uh, we, we did a little research a couple of weeks ago, and we did some biblical looking at the land of Gaza and, and this, uh, the Gaza Strip, and maybe you want to catch sure, people up sure. on some of that. You know, in your Bibles, you could find Gaza. It's not a strange place uh, all of a sudden appearing in modern culture. You could go back to Joshua. It was the inheritance of Judah in Joshua chapter 15. Uh Hezekiah struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and the territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. In Judges 1, uh, Judah took Gaza with its territory. Amos chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Eden. It was one of five Philistine 
communities, cities. You had Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron, and Gath, as well as Gaza. In Judges chapter 16, Samson was in Gaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took him there, and he ended up being blind, and he was a grinder, uh, pushing that heavy stone around in circles. Rabbis uh, had a strong presence in medieval times in Gaza. Uh, and so there have been, you hear about occupied territory, very hot topic, very political. Occupied. Let's just start off with Palestine. Is there ever been a Palestine country? No. Yeah, as hard as people want to talk about it, there just has never been. There's been opportunity. Mm-hmm. For instance, when uh, Ottoman Turks had that land for 400 years, the Ottoman Turks occupied that land, and while they occupied it, they did nothing formally with it. Uh, they didn't change their capital. Uh, no, none of the occupied area they had was developed at all. Uh, there were some Jewish people. There's always been a Jewish presence, but it was a dusty, dry, mostly uninhabited area. Arabs lived there as well, and uh, Bedouins, but it was mostly not much until the late 1800s while the Ottoman Turks oversaw it. And Chris, what happened? We, this was a big deal. It, in fact, in my family history, this was a huge deal because there was anti-Semitism. Oh, anti-Semitism has been going on a long time. I'm in the United States because my grandparents who lived in Eastern Europe, were their, their families were concerned and they sent them and on my dad's side, they sent my grandmother, uh, who was a teenager, late teenager at the time. She could have gone to Israel. Several Jewish people did. Uh, they were beginning to come. Uh, we call it Aliyah, or making Aliyah to go up. But instead, they came to the United States, the Golden Medina, the Golden Land. And all four of my grandparents came as a result of that. So Turkey had it, and then World War I happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, why don't you t- In World War I... Uh, Great Britain, they won the war. They're part of the allies that won the war. What happened yeah, next? The whole entire Middle East begins to take shape after World War I. Once uh, the United States and the Allied forces uh, um, uh, uh, defeat um, the Turks, um, what happens is that the entire Turkish Empire gets divided up. And now the European nations begin to take control of certain sections. And the UK, uh, the United Kingdom, was able to garner the control. It was called the uh, uh, the mandate, the British mandate over Palestine. They took control of the land between 1917 and 1948. And so they had control of the Holy Land ultimately, but then up in the north in Syria, the French took control. <coughs> so the French had control of the north and other areas around, but the UK had what was then called Palestine. It was called Palestine, but there was no administration of Palestinian people. Jew- Jewish people were called Palestinian then. 100%. <coughs> Jer- uh, Jerusalem Post today used to be called the Palestinian Post. The orchestra uh, that today is called uh, the Jewish, or not Jewish, it's called the uh, something, what? Israeli, sorry, pretty yeah. easy. Isra- <laughs> Israeli Philharmonic Orchestra It was called the Palestinian Philharmonic or- or- Orchestra. You could have asked 
any person, Arab or Jewish, to show your papers during the time of the UK when they oversaw it, and they would show you that they were born in Palestine. That was the occupied area that Great Britain had. And as it relates to Gaza, interestingly enough, the British were responsible for taking all the Jews out of Gaza in 1929 because of Arab raids that went on. And in order to keep the peace, the way the British solved it is to have an evacuation of Gaza. It should also be said, too, that Gaza isn't a dilapidated area. Uh, Gaza is the one of the most beautiful areas on Earth. White, sandy beaches, crystal blue water. Uh, it, you know, when, when, when the pal we'll talk more about how the Palestinians end up in Gaza today, but when they did end up in Gaza in the uh, early 2000s, what's fascinating is that this was their opportunity to create what they called the, the, the what is it, the uh, um, Singapore or whatever of, of the Middle East. Uh, Beirut. The, yeah, just a beautiful uh, opportunity to create something. Uh, because this land actually is incredibly important in the geography of the Middle East, because Gaza sits on what's called an—it's an ancient highway system that would have gone all the way from Egypt up into Persia, which is modern-day Iran and Europe. And so, if you wanted to go from Egypt up into Persia or up into Europe, uh, you had to go through Gaza. Gaza was on the coastal part of the of the land of Israel at that time. It still is. It's a, it's a coastal city, so it was flat. It was easy for um, for people to make to move caravans through. And so, if you wanted to move anything around the world, you had to go through Gaza. Gaza was a very strategic location. It still is a strategic location. But what happens is in, in 1948, after the British mandate ends, the British go, "We want out." The British were originally going to give all the land to the Jewish people, uh, according to a, a declaration called the Balfour Declaration in 1917, when it was when it was made, where the where the king and his government promised to help establish a Jewish homeland in their ancient homeland, and it was a big deal. It's a big document that still matters a lot to the state of Israel today. But what happens is over time, the British get a little bogged down. Kind of like what we're seeing with the administration right now. Just really quick with us, with the British, they started off with a lot of anticipation. We're going to give this whole land to the Jewish people. Yay, we're excited. Then what happens? Over several decades, there's infighting that begins to go on. And the British go, I don't know if we made the right decision. And now are we, are we, are we really giving the land to these people? And by the time 1948 comes around, they actually didn't even vote yes in the U.N., to give the Jewish people the land. The UK actually abstained from the vote. Russia voted yes. Russia Russia, Russia voted yes. The UK voted no, uh, abstained. They didn't say no. They abstained. That says a lot, though, that the country that really wanted to give them this land all of a sudden within a few decades goes, never mind. We don't know if we, we made the right decision. But the point of this, though, is that in 1948, Gaza, after the war settles— after independence, you know what happened to Gaza? It didn't land in the hands of the Palestinians. It didn't land in the hands of the Israelis. Do you know who had control of Gaza? Egypt. Egypt took control. From 1949 to 1967, Egypt oversaw Gaza. And the reason is because of the War of Independence, the plan, the military plan for Egypt was to go north 
Remember, it's a little strip of land, only 25 miles long, about five miles wide. They were going to go up, and then they were going to circle back uh, at the time. Uh, and by the way, if you sense a bias, you're right. It's fair to say. But I, if, if you sense a bias, it's very fair. The Jew and the Gentile bias, we're with the Friends of Israel. We do have a bias. However, unlike politicians, Republican and Democrat, we will tell you the facts. These are, these are, you could look them up yourself. Egypt was in control. They were left in control when their plan didn't work to defeat Israel. Uh, Israel defeated them, but Israel didn't have any firepower to get, excuse me, to get them out of Gaza. So they were there for those 19 years. Very important. Uh, because in 1967, Chris, something yep. happened. The Six-Day War comes in, and uh, that's when <laughs> Egypt— Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, along with the Saudis, they helped out. Iraqis helped out as well. They all, all attacked Israel uh, in the Six-Day War. And Israel preempted. That's right, preempted June of 1967. Now what happens is they all thought we're going to push Israel into the sea, but really what happens is Israel pushes all of the nations back. E Israel takes Egypt, uh, the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, they take the Golan Heights up in Syria, and they take the West Bank. And this becomes important because Gaza is a part of that. So if we fast forward, Israel has control of Gaza from 1967, ultimately till 2005, Steve. And that's a. this is where kind of, if you're catching up with October 7th, a lot of this begins in 2005. A lot of it. But first, let's, how did the Palestinians get there? Two million of them. Well, the reason is, uh, in the War of Independence, there was a flight of uh, folks, Palestinians, in this case, Arab Palestinians. And by the way, uh, there were Jewish uh, folks who lived outside of Israel, refugees, if you will. Israel had open borders. Come, come to us. We're a new nation. To this day, any Jewish person living anywhere is an automatic citizen of Israel. But you had these Palestinians who did not want to be in Israel. Numbers of different reasons why they fled into Gaza. So that little piece of land, which really was like a, a paradise, uh, not only was it great for uh, a beaches, it was great for fishing as well. Mm -hmm. And we'll find out later to this day that uh, once Israel forbid them to fish, you'd say, just hear that. Why would they forbid them to fish? That's their livelihood. It would be a very fair question. Israel's not in the business of stopping people from earning a living. But uh, the reason they stopped them is because they smuggled uh, missiles, guns, ammunition into, into Gaza to help kill Israelis. So you're and, saying they went out and they go, we got a big one here, and they're rolling it up, and then it's a missile. Uh, something like yeah, that, okay. Chris. Something <laughs> like that. So just to give you an idea— uh, the it's very difficult to be Jewish anywhere. I'm telling you, even in this country, it didn't used to be. If you're on the college campus in this country and you wear a yarmulke, you could be beat up. In France, they are telling the French people in Paris, take down your mezuzah. And by the way, Paris was overrun by the Nazis. And those who are old enough to remember that are saying, this I thought we were through with this. It's back the same way it was. 
So uh, you have in Gaza uh, many Palestinians who are living there, and this takes us to 2005, and that's, Chris, you take them from there. This is big because um, Israel really wants peace with the Palestinians. I, I know that media will tell you otherwise, but I believe, and I actually think I can show you proof, that since 1948, Israel has only desired to have peace with their neighbors. Um, and so what happens is, over the years, Israel has given up land for peace. Uh, w with 1967, Israel took the Sinai Peninsula. You know what? They returned the Sinai Peninsula for peace. Uh, the same thing uh, for uh, other areas as well, and other ways of relating with the Palestinians. They wanted to show peace. Uh, one of the ways that they acted this time was they went completely on their own. It, usually Israel sits down with the U.S., a negotiator, and a UN. broker, the U.N., and the Palestinians, and they come up with a plan. In 2005, something different happened. The prime minister of Israel, Ariel Sharon then, said, I'm going to pull out of Gaza all of the Jewish people, all of the Israelis. 8,000 of them. 8,000 Israelis. I'm pulling them completely out of Gaza to give to the Palestinians unilaterally. I'm doing it on our own. I don't need the U.S. to tell me what to do. I don't need the Palestinians. I'm just going to give it to them. It's called, you probably heard this word, disengagement. Have you ever heard that word before? Disengage. That means that what uh, Ariel Sharon decided, unprecedented, and he was criticized severely by his own people. I mean, he, they were thinking of toppling his government because he was doing something unprecedented. 8,000 Jewish people living in Gaza, running their own businesses, having their own homes for 30 years. Mm -hmm. this, was, this was owning your own home, living your life, raising now your grandkids, and IDF comes knocking on your door. So you're Jewish. The IDF knock on your door, and they say, you got to get out, and you say, I don't want to get you out. And so I remember, maybe some of you do remember, actually them grabbing them by the shirt or by the shoulder mm -hmm. and dragging, dragging them out of their own homes and away from their, in some cases, multi-million dollar businesses. That's right. Uh, the, the Israelis had built a multi-hundred-million-dollar-plus well, horticulture business in Gaza, and so what happens is in 2005, when Ariel Sharon pulls all the Jewish people out, he doesn't just pull out the Israelis, he actually removes all military presence as well from within Gaza. That's big. Remember this. So as everything comes out, now after 2005, the Palestinians have complete control of Gaza. Now, what's amazing is that Israel really wanted to help the Palestinians. They left their horticulture business behind and said, we will help you. They we'll drop, literally dropped the keys into their hands. That's right. And we, you, we'll train you so that you'll have an income. And you know what happened? They burned it all. The Palestinians burned the entire industry that the Israelis were leaving behind. And there's behind. a reason for that, Chris. Because they was, wanted zero Jewish presence. Not even a, a hint of any Jewish presence. Whether in, whether or not there were homes, they burned them. If a business, they smashed them and burned them. Not coincidentally, Chris, what did they do on October 7th? Same thing. They burned the homes uh, that they came into. They not just killed the people, mutilated them. They There's always this desire to burn, either behead 
or burn. Uh, and it it's not taken October 7th as a snapshot. That's so unique. It's been that way for a long time. And, and can I say this too? With the, with the uh, Palestinians in Gaza, when they come in, uh, you have to remember this is during the Bush administration, and something big happens in 2006. So the Palestinians have control now. There's no Israelis in Gaza. In 2006, something fascinating happens. The Palestinians are going to have their first elections of all time. This is the first time as a group of people they will elect a president. Determine their destiny. That's right. They're going to choose the people to run them, to rule them. And it wasn't just Gaza, they're going to pick their people, and West Bank are going to choose their people. No, West Bank and Gaza were to be linked together. What happens in West Bank was supposed to happen in Gaza, and what was supposed to happen in Gaza was supposed to happen in the West Bank. But you know what happened? When they elected, when they had their elections, they all thought the moderate president was going to win. And Mahmoud you know, Abbas. Mahmoud Abbas. Do you know who won that day? Do you know who all Palestinians primarily voted for? Hamas. They voted for Hamas. They voted for Hamas in the West Bank. They voted for Hamas in Gaza. They voted for them. And you know what that did? People don't tell you this. You don't hear this in the news when you're talking about October 7th. When they voted for Hamas, the Israelis knew we had a problem on our hands because now you've got Hamas in the West Bank and you've got Hamas in Gaza. The Palestinians knew they had a problem. And you know what happened? That guy that was ruling them at the time that was in charge, he picked up. He was the predecessor of, um, of uh, uh, Yasser Arafat, if you remember that name. Mahmoud Abbas comes on the scene. He's the one running the show. After the election, Hamas wins. He comes up and he goes, I just want to say I'm making an edict. No, Hamas, I'll rule the show. Your elections mean nothing. I'm, I'm going to keep being your president. What do you think the Palestinians did? They were frustrated. So you know what happened? It created a civil war among the Palestinians in 2006. They started fighting with one another. And ultimately, the place where we ended up is Mahmoud Abbas would run the West Bank, which he still does 15, 18 years later. They haven't had elections since. And then down in Gaza, Hamas took control, pushed out all of Mahmoud Abbas's party and took control of Gaza. That's why you have Hamas in Gaza and you have a, a different politic in the West Bank. Do you know why they haven't run elections in the West Bank near Jerusalem and maybe you've heard the city Ramallah? They haven't run elections since then, since 2006, for one reason and one reason only. Hamas will win. The 89%. They've taken surveys. They haven't done an election, but they have taken surveys. 89% of the Palestinian people support Hamas. So the question is now, who is Hamas? Let me read this for them. I think this is important. I have the Hamas covenant. I'm not going to read all of it to you. But for those people, including in our own country, I don't know how many of you negotiated things in your life, your house, your car, maybe even business. You need, in, in any kind of uh, negotiation, you need two partners who are going to, you, tr you have to, there has to be some trust between them. And when you sign a document, there has to be a respect for the law. So here's what Hamas says, and this is current Hamas. 
Point number one, the Islamic resistance movement, that, that's also what it's called, is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Peace initiatives. We talked about peace initiatives. President Clinton had them. George Bush had them. Uh, we, we continue to—Israel has tried— Peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. Those conferences are no more than a means to appoint the infidels as arbiters in the lands of Islam. There is no solution for the Palestinian problem except by jihad, initiatives, proposals, and international conferences are but a waste of time, an exercise in futility. And my last point, Egypt was, to a great extent, removed from the circle of struggle against Zionism through the treacherous Camp David Agreement. The Zionists are trying to draw other Arab countries into similar agreements in order to bring them outside the circle of struggle. Leaving the circle of struggle against Zionism is high treason, and cursed be he who perpetrates such an act. So, I read a lot of stuff. What's the bottom line? According to Hamas, there is no negotiation. We're not interested in negotiation, including, by the way, what people are calling for right now, a ceasefire. They call it a ceasefire, and Hamas has took originally 200 and 40 hostages. They were old people. They wheeled some of these hostages from their homes and took them away in trucks. They're little children, uh, as young as nine months old, and every age in between. And so during the course of time, uh, there has been some negotiation, and some of those hostages have been returned. We thank God for them. Some of them have already been killed. And there's no idea amongst the 130 what condition they're in. Hamas calls them all uh, prisoners of war. Prisoners of war. That's against the Geneva Convention to take a child, an old person, who has nothing to do with war. And their attacks were on people who are just living in their homes. Chris, we talked to an Israeli gal who we know, I know really well. She was a guide for us on our Friends of Israel tour. But you got a, we got a chance to interview her on our podcast. And what did she tell us about that area politically? The Jewish people were living there. They weren't orthodox. They weren't even conservative. What, what were they and what happened as a betrayal to them? When you, when, when you have the, uh, all the Jewish people that left during the disengagement, there were towns that are still outside of Gaza. Maybe you've heard of the, the Israeli town Sturot, which is a, appears on the, no, the news every so often. There have, you've heard more of them since October 7th, Kibbutz Beri, um, kibbutz Nirim. These are all towns that surround the Gaza Strip that are Jewish. They're farming towns, really. They're kibbutzes. And a lot of the kibbutzniks are probably more secular-minded, and they're peaceniks. They love peace. 
And they've been proponents of the Palestinian people in Gaza for a very long time. A lot of them would hire the Palestinians in Gaza to come work on the farm or, 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 and, and to give them a job. They were promoting peace all the time. And in October 7th, when the, when the massacre happened, a lot of the uh, Palestinians from Gaza, of Hamas, they knew where to go because their friends that were living in these kibbutzes, these Israelis, they knew where they lived. They knew their names. They worked with them. Now, all of a sudden, those peace-oriented Israelis are not peacekeeping people anymore. They are over, they're done with it. Their neighbors, their family members were all massacred. Now they have a different agenda, and their agenda is to make sure Hamas is completely eliminated once and for all. But Chris, let's let's talk about something because we did promise, uh, and we haven't forgot you, Cindy. We, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring you in in a short time. But Chris, we've been really centering in on the war, the physical war. But there's something going on in this country, really around the world. That's been going on a long time. Another kind of war that we don't see. Mm -hmm. Can you comment a little bit about that? I think you're th thinking about the spiritual war that's going on. Exactly. That makes its way out in the form of anti-Semitism. I, I always like to define the term anti-Semitism because actually when you looked at, look at the statistics, the vast majority of Americans and Westerners don't know what that term even means, especially young adults. So I always say anti-Semitism is Jew hatred. It's, it's, it's targeting Jewish people. That's anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism, since October 7th, the massacre, has gone out of control. In America, it's up more than 350%. In America. America. In fact, do you know that in America, prior to October 7th, a FBI report from 2020 showed that 60% of religious hate crimes in America are directed toward Jewish people. 60%. In the UK, in London, anti-Semitism since October 7th is up 1,200%. In Canada, it's up 212%. All around the world, anti-Semitism is up. There is a brazenness to uh, people uh, toward the Jewish people as what's going on, as a result of what's going on from October 7th. So if you support Israel and the Jewish people, guess what? And if you're Jewish and you support Israel, you're going to face some sort of potential anti-Semitism. Just think about our college campuses. We had Ivy League professors that sat in front of a congressional panel and couldn't say that if somebody called for the death of a Jewish person or for the death of the nation of Israel, that that was somehow breaking some code of their, their code of conduct. Think about that. That... Highly educated people couldn't look at a representative of Congress and say, yeah, no, if somebody calls for the death of a Jewish person or for Israel, that is breaking our code of conduct. They said, well, depends on the circumstances. Yep. Yep. Now, imagine something. This sounds like something out of, the, out of Germany. Who were the people that pushed Jewish people into the gas chambers? They were your highly educated uh, um, uh, uh, Germans. These were Germany was the center of, of, of intellectualism and enlightenment. And these were the same people that committed the Holocaust. And yet we saw right in front of us the rise of anti-Semitism and the permission when those people go, oh, we got to look at every circumstance. That's giving permission for anti-Semitism to happen on college campuses. Why? Because of something that happened in Israel? 
What 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 happens in Israel happens to college kids on UPenn or Harvard? No, you know why? What Steve was bringing up is we believe at Friends of Israel that anti-Semitism isn't just something that happens to Jewish people. It's actually a spiritual battle that's going on. We believe that whatever God loves, Satan's going to do anything he can to attack it. He does it to the church, and he's been doing it to the Jewish people since the moment God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Let me give you an example. Uh, We, not long ago... In December, celebrated Christmas. I'm here to tell you, without Hanukkah, there would be no Christmas. And the reason I'm telling you that is because in the intertestamental period, there was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, it's, we don't regard uh, Maccabees as scripture. Uh, some uh, people do, but most uh, Bible-believing Christians regard the Maccabees as historical. Nonetheless, true. And there was an attack to either assimilate, Antiochus wanted to assimilate all the Jews, or kill them. Uh, And the story is that it didn't happen. Uh, The Maccabees were raised up. They prevented that from happening. And so as a result, the Jewish people were spared, and ultimately Jesus would come. But even before that intertestamental period, I could take you to the book of Esther, where the name of God is never mentioned, not once. Uh, we, we call that, or the theme of Esther, is the providence of God. And in the providence of God, without his name even being mentioned, uh, the Jewish people who uh, Haman got the king to uh, sign a declaration that all the Jews could be killed. What's behind all that? The, the Jewish people are the canaries in the coal mine. If the Jewish people get attacked, you can be sure that Christian attack is not far behind. Chris uh, cited um, uh, anti-Semitism in Canada. Can I tell you that in uh, Canada, which is uh, progressively probably about 15 or 20 years ahead of us, there have been a number of pastors who have been put into prison by the same kind of mentality, their government, as people who are going against Jewish people on college campuses and all around Canada. And so we have to watch this because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is a battle going on. I'm thankful I live in America. The decision that my, uh, my grandparents made, that courageous one, many of you have uh, in your history really courageous people. They didn't hop on a jet and four hours later come and land, you know, sipping coffee and tea. They, they risked their life in order to make life better for so many of us. But I'm telling you, uh, we are living in a time where there is things going on, battles that are going on, uh, satanic battles that are, are, we should be very aware and be praying, not just for the Jewish people, but as we pray for them, we are really praying for ourselves as well. Can I, can I say, too, um, that you know, people look at what's going on at, at, on October 7th, and they say, how could this have happened? How could October 7th have happened? And you know, uh, between 2000, we talked about 2006, 2007, when Hamas takes control of Gaza. Steve read the 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 constitution of the of the of Hamas. 
you know, when, when you when you look at what was going on there, uh, and 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 uh, you fast forward 15 years to where we are today. Do you know that more than I think 35,000 rockets were launched from Gaza into Israel? O- almost every day, rockets were being launched from Gaza into Israel between 2006 and October 7th. Every day. And how often would you hear the news comment on rockets that were being launched over? Never. Until, you know when the news would pick up? Israel, the, ro- the rockets would get so bad, Israel would have to go in, accomplish a mission to take care of it because their neighborhoods were getting— uh, well, d- Only before they, you know, they cell phone them. Hey, we're uh, coming— uh, Yeah. Uh, no other military does they that. drop leaflets. They, they drop call le- them. We're coming. Just be sure. Get out of there. We're coming. Who does that? Yeah. Israel does that. The, the point, though, is that, see, I believe— the West, the, the world gave permission for Hamas to do this. And the reason I believe that is because in any other circumstance, any other country, if they were bombed by their neighbor, would take action immediately on behalf of its people. Just look at Ukraine, Russia. Yeah, well, exactly. Look what's going on. Or even, uh, you know, our uh, bases yep. were attacked by the Houthis and we responded. And nobody's batting an eye at that. But Israel is bombed for 15 years. They actually have to develop an anti-ballistic missile system called the Iron Dome to protect their citizens. And you know what people say? Oh, but they have Iron Dome. The the Hamas is launching. Oh, but Israel has Iron Dome. That shouldn't matter. See, for 15 years, every time Israel would go to finally take care, maybe root out Hamas, the world would say, "Uh, maybe you should stop. Uh, Maybe you shouldn't go any further. Uh, Maybe you should stop. Call Benjamin Netanyahu. Call this prime minister. The UN. Maybe you should stop. You know what has happened is that over years, it has gotten to a point that it's festered so much that the Hamas took advantage of the situation and brutally massacred 1,400 Israelis. And finally, the world saw the heart of Hamas. And they saw it from Hamas themselves. Yeah, as they call their parents, as they're as they're praising Allah for the killing of innocent life. This is, I honestly believe, we've given permission to it because the media has not focused properly on what's going on in, in Gaza. And it festered to a point where October 7th happened. And now what's happening? We talked about it already. Now, all of a sudden, our, the Western nations are going, I don't really know if Israel should do this anymore. What do, they, what do you want them to do? Or it's over the top. As, as, as we Biden just said heard. last night. Yep. That's yep. right. It's, yep. over, the top, it's which, over the top. Which, think about what that means. Maybe you should stop. Well, what about Hamas? You know what will happen? Hamas will reload. Hamas will go out fishing again and pull up a few more missiles and launch them back over again. I promise you. Just remember who broke the ceasefire. Israel didn't break the ceasefire. There was a ceasefire in place prior to October 7th. Hamas broke that ceasefire. Let's switch gears a little. And Cindy, you're here, and you were the one that called. We, we've been occupying all this time. Occupying. We've occupied all this time. Uh, I know that you've had a few questions, and maybe after you, some in the audience might have questions. Do you want to pick up your mic? And uh, I know that you wanted us to come. You've heard us go on and on. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Or is there a question that you might have? Well, I don't have any, but I bet some people in our audience do. And Anybody out there with a question? Oh. Or comment? Oh, we're in Lancaster. They're happy. Okay, uh, somebody does. 
To clarify the term river to the sea. A very good question. You know, you're right, because uh, I'll let Chris answer the question, but I have to tell you, I've watched some videos of young people going on the college campus and asking fellow students, what does it mean from the river to the sea? And it's, it's remember when Jay Leno went out on the street asking yeah. civil uh, uh, questions, like on civics kind of questions on government? Well, they go around asking, from the river to the sea, what river is it? Oh, some river right next to Gaza, and uh, <laughs> they don't know anything. <laughs> the Hudson River. What, what does what does it mean, Chris? It's not funny, but it, that's a funny answer. What does it mean from the river to the sea? Yeah, I don't. I don't think most college students are aware of the fact that what they're calling for is the eradication of the state of Israel. From the river is the Jordan River, which is a border of Israel on its eastern side. To the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. Palestine, and everything in between. That's right. Palestine will be free, which means pushing all of the Jewish people and the state of Israel off the map. And it's it's even more interesting. You hear college students, while they're chanting that statement, they're also saying, I wish all those Jews in Israel would just go home. And it's funny to think, <laughs> well, number one, they are home, but the home that they were in, you ran them out before. Or not you, but uh, they were run out by the Nazis or persecution before. So, Well, even Israelis, the term Israelis, if you ask most people give me the definition of an Israeli, they will tell you it's a Jewish person who lives in Israel. And that is 75% correct. 25% of Israelis are not Jewish. They're Arab. And many of them are Muslims. Some of them are Christians, and some of them are Muslims. And if they are Muslims, they are the freest Muslims in the Middle East. That is the highest percentage of Muslim Arabs who go to college? Israel. The highest percentage of Muslim Arabs, who, women who drive cars? Israel. It's a free country, democratic country. And if you're Muslim and you have citizenship in Israel, and 25% of them do, then you're living better than the average Muslim in the Middle East. You know, uh, there uh, a lot of kids see this, and maybe you've seen it online too. There is a, a very famous uh, uh, social media um, influencer, they called. His name's Nas Daily, and he does really great videos about education and things like this. He's got millions and millions of followers. He's an Arab-Israeli, and he always would call himself, ready, a Palestinian. And then October 7th happened, and you know what happened? He said, I am no longer going to call myself a Palestinian and then an Israeli Arab. From now on, I'm an Israeli. It changed him as a citizen of Israel. When he saw that Hamas attacked his, his citizens, Hamas didn't care who was in the kibbutzes. They didn't go around and say, Oh, they Jewish. killed internationals. Yeah, they killed internationals. They killed Thailanders who were helping on the farms. Uh, they killed whoever was it. They didn't go around asking if you're Jewish. They were killing you if you were Israeli. There could have been Arabs in those in those uh, towns that they would have killed. They kill their own people in Hamas when they blow up uh, the ho the hospital or they act when they launch a rocket and it explodes. The, a lot of those rockets that go up, they don't always end up where they they want them to go. They might actually land in Gaza, so they don't care for life like the Israelis care for life. That's Chris, very important. Tell them about the Palestinian 
who we interviewed on Equip. You got to tell them a little bit about Equip. Yeah. Uh, because they can get that free. And we had a Palestinian lover of Israel. Uh, his name's Basem Eid. He's a good friend of our program and a good friend of the Friends of Israel. He's a Palestinian that lives in Jericho. And Basem is a Palestinian human rights activist. And you might go, well, that sounds interesting. Well, he's a human rights activist against his own government. And he believes Israel uh, is, is uh, a very important uh, country that matters and uh, will play a very important role in the future of the Palestinian people in a positive way, not a negative way. And so we had him on, and he was able to share his thoughts about the Hamas-Israel war. And he said Israel needs to defeat Hamas once and for all. Just on Tuesday night, I was the moderator of a event for the Jewish Community Relations Council of South Jersey, and I, I uh, interviewed a young woman named Dalia Zadaya, a M Muslim Egyptian who is pro-democracy. She's a liberal. Uh, she runs a liberal think tank in in um, in uh, Egypt. Egypt, and she was kicked out of Egypt, or she ran because of death threats because she said Israel must destroy Hamas as a Muslim. She got so many death threats, and now even the state of, of Egypt wants to sue her for treason, all for simply saying Hamas needs to be destroyed. Because Hamas isn't just going after Israel. They're here to upend the entire Middle East. And so that's really important to hear from other perspectives as well, not just ours. But there are a lot of people in the Middle East who feel that way. I want to give you an opportunity. There was a question over well, here, I'll, though. Too. I'll call on you. I want to give you an opportunity. How many of you have cell phones? Do you have cell phones? I, okay. I want you to get them out. Get out your cell phone uh, and go to your app store. No, I'm not going to ask you to buy anything. Don't, don't worry. I'm not selling anything. And our listeners, uh, by the way, well, uh, our listeners can text us. Mm -hmm. what, what's that number, Chris? It's 424-444-1948. 1948. Does that ring a bell? As you get your phones out... If you're interested, all you have to do is in your app store is put the Friends of Israel, the Friends of Israel, and then punch it. Well, don't really punch it. Just touch it. And if you do that, you'll download an app absolutely free that will give you information about Friends of Israel and the things that we're doing. Chris, we have a, 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 a course called Equip, and what... How do they access that? Yeah, if you go to foiequip.org, you can study with us. We have great Thursday night studies that we do, and starting next Thursday, we're going to be looking at Ezekiel chapter 37. The dry bones. The dry bones coming back to life. It's all free. It's online, foiequip.org, uh, and there's many other courses. We have Dr. Randall Price, the famous archaeologist, who will be coming on in March to talk about... Uh, archaeology in Israel and how it helps prove the Bible is real. And then uh, after this, you might not want to come to this one, but Steve and I are doing an online Passover uh, yeah, presentation. Yeah. So Anyway, uh, there was somebody who had their hand up in the back. Right here. Okay, oh, for, real loud for us. Persia, Which that's right. Persia. Correct. Which I believe is Russia. 
Well, get uh, by the way, that's that's really great for those who couldn't hear him. He's talking about Ezekiel uh, 38 and 39, uh, which is a prophetic two chapters in the book of Ezekiel, which in that period of time prophetically tells us that the nations, not necessarily the same names, Persia is one of them and it's Iran today, but the geography has not changed. And the geography is Iran, it's Israel, it's Turkey, directly north, it's Russia, and it reads, for those of you who have not read Ezekiel 38 and 39, it's almost as though you were reading a newspaper today. today. Yep. But you'll find that, I, I saw several of you picked it up. I, I put some magazines in the back. I have a few others if you, uh, if you didn't get one. We'd love to give it to you. It's absolutely free, no issue at all. Uh, we believe Israel My Glory is a great magazine. People tell us that all the time. Chris writes the editorial section for IMG. I always have a piece in there on a, a each and every issue, along with uh, this particular one is on King David. Um, and just really great authors, really great uh, topics, including in our in the past, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. There are alliances that are taking place in the Middle East that are something where you have to you have to keep track of what's going on. Not all the alliances are there yet. We had Joel Rosenberg on a few, um, uh, maybe a year and a half or so ago, and he said it's amazing the alliances that you're seeing form between Turkey, Russia, and Iran. Um, and what, the thing that really made the hair on the back of my neck stand up was a few weeks ago when the president of Turkey, Erdogan, stood up in front of 250,000 Turks and said, I'm ready to send troops into Gaza. That would, uh, you know, that, that feels like Ezekiel 38 and 39, especially with that alliance that you're seeing with Iran, who, remember, Hamas exists because of Iran. They're funded by Iran. Hezbollah exists because of Iran. The Houthis exist because of her, of Iran. They're all funded by, they're and, all proxies. And Iran exists, it, well, it would exist without the United States, but $6 billion couldn't hurt. No. <laughs> That's right. Oh, we have a question. Yeah, uh, there was a lady back here. Yes. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so the question is, how do you define the difference between Palestinians and Hamas? Israelis, Palestinians, and Hamas. We should clarify. Yeah, so uh, let me, uh, maybe this will help. Hamas is a, is a party. And it, it, actually, yes, they are. A lot of, I know we label them as a terrorist organization. Hamas, we label a terrorist organization. But remember, they were elected into power by the Palestinians. So if you're Hamas, you are a Palestinian. If you're not Hamas, then you're still Palestinian. As long, all Palestinians are Palestinians. It depends on where you voted. Yeah, if you're in, the, in the, what we call the West Bank, Judea, Samaria, uh, Mahmoud Abbas is, oversees the Palestinians, but it's the Palestinian Authority that governs that section. In Gaza, the governance of the Palestinians is Hamas. There's about 50, there were before October 7th, about 50,000 uh, Hamas 
people engage as part of Hamas, the organization. And there's 2 million people who are living in Gaza. So 50,000 is a small amount compared to 2 million, which, by the way, is one of the problems. There's a couple of problems. First of all, how does an Israeli soldier dis distinguish between a Hamas terrorist and somebody who's not? Especially when some of the Hamas terrorists are as young as 13 years old with guns, uh, grenades, rocket launchers, etc., so if the argument is given, and it has been, that is Israel is killing children, that could be an accurate statement. Uh, the only question, is it cold blood or were they defending themselves? It's unlike any Western idea, including World War II. My father fought in World War II. Very clearly, there were soldiers on both sides. When you encountered civilians, you used them for food, you could use them to do grunt work, if, if those kinds of things. But you never, you never, either side, at least according to the Geneva Convention, they weren't supposed to uh, hurt them in any way. They were to try to protect them. All those rules of war are outside of the scheme of things uh, as it relates to Hamas. It's just the way it is. It's been that way for a long time. We in the United States, what happened in New York City? Were they civilians or were they terrorists? I would argue they were terrorists. Uh, and they were willing to die for their cause. And that's exactly what happens in the Middle East. <laughs> well, I gave it a shot anyway. Yes. That's the question of questions. Why that is, is a great question. Actually, I think that the reason why uh, you see uh, activity again rising in the Middle East with uh, with a boldness of Iran and the boldness of Hamas is because of U.S. funding. Uh, the previous administration, the Trump administration, cut off funding to Iran. And what happened? Quiet. Uh, cut off funding to Palestinians because they were teaching their kids how to do terrorism. And what happened? Quiet. In fact, there was peace that was created with the Abraham Accords. Then what happens? You begin to fund. We all think in our minds, in our American minds, oh, they're going to use this for education. They're going to use this for this. You know, no, that will automatically go to helping advance tunnels. terrorism. 500 miles of tunnels, where they get those billions of dollars. No, the, the, you're asking a very good question. Uh, there are truck truckloads of, of goods going into Gaza now, uh, medicine. Uh, food. But guess what happens when it gets in there? Hamas terrorists jump those trucks and they get it to their own people in the tunnel system. It's very difficult. Even with Israel soldiers there, it's very difficult because those who are in Hamas don't care about the citizens around them. 100%. They care about self-preservation. Their leader who is in Qatar He's a multi-billionaire, and so what, did he invent the cell phone? What? How did he? How did he get to be so wealthy? Well, billions of dollars have come from the UN, the United States, from France, from uh, uh, England as well, and he siphons the money. It's it's just the way it is. We've got some more questions. We'll yes. take two more. How, yeah. how about right here, sir?
Yes. Okay. Israel still is what was in forty-eight, and it occupies seven. And it's governed right now by the Palestinian Authority. That area, you're, it has been negotiated, and it's. That, I understand what there you're are, saying. Are you will, but the one thing you do have to understand about the West Bank, though, is that it's not black and white. The West Bank is not—the Israelis still have control of areas along the Jordan There's River. A, B, and C. That's right. That, that's right. So that's why there are Israelis that do live in those areas. They still have farms and all that. So when they're talking about river to the sea, they're— they're just wanting to move all of them over. That was, but I appreciate that. Well, Thank Chris, you. we got to do a Yiddish word. Hold on, one more. We got wait, one wait, more. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, we'll oh. do questions. We'll do them after. What? What time? How, how are we doing time-wise? Like oh, hour and thirteen yeah. minutes. We got it. We'll wrap it up. Uh, okay. Here, all right. We'll, well, let's. We'll take one more question, man. By the way, after we're done with the podcast, we're still we're here. I'll. We'll take any question as long as you want to ask them. We'll try to answer them. So go ahead. Way in the back. Great question. Did did that were the um, did the Jews take the land from the Palestinians? Is ultimately the question. Uh, the problem. It's so difficult. Uh, the 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 picture that people have, especially what they're taught in college, is that there were all of these Muslims living in in Palestine, and then the Jews colonized it. They came over, took it all out, kicked them out, and it's kind of like an American. You know, they try to connect it to American history, like Americans came in and kicked out all the Native Americans. Um, I'm going to tell you something that's just not true. It's it's a patently false perspective. There have always been Jewish people in the land. That is very important to remember. It's not like, you know, these colonialist Jewish people from the uh, from Europe came over and said, oh, now I'm taking this land back. No, there have been Jewish people in cities like Sfat, Jerusalem, Hebron. Uh, Tiberius that had been living in Israel from the time of of uh, 135 A.D. all the way till 1948. There are people that have been living in the land that long. Jewish people, Jewish people have had an identity in that land. The fingerprint has never gone away. And so now, what was going on is during the Turkish Empire, Jewish people were migrating back to the land. 
Um, and they were trying to renovate the land. And they were buying it at, at ungodly prices. They bought the land. under, And the Turks let them do it. They didn't do it against the law. I got some sand I'd like to sell you for a good deal. That's exactly right. A lot of it was malaria, swamp-infested land. The, the Jewish people from Eastern Europe facing persecution came over. They bought the land. They have the deed. And then what happened is they turned that malaria-infested land into working farms. And then what happened? The Egyptians started to walk up into the land to get a job. The modern-day Jordan, they'd walk over to the land. Nobody was living there. Do you know why no one wanted to live there back then? The Ottoman Turks taxed every fruit that was produced on a tree. You know what? how taxes work. You overtax, what happens? Forget about it. I'm no, not better yet, Chris, describe it this way. If you're, you're look, Many of you are living here now, but if, picture your homes, wherever it is, and your government says, for every tree on your property, it's $10,000, just so you know. I'm giving a grace period of three months. Chris, saws would be sold out. Yep. <laughs> uh, we want to cut taxes by cutting trees. And when they did that, all the good soil was washed away. It was a major problem, but it came as a result of the tax that the Turks put on that land with trees. And so, no, they didn't steal land. They bought the land at a very high price, even though it wasn't worth it. And eventually, over time, they came to own many plots of land, and uh, and they didn't come in and steal it from them. Um, there are it, there are um, uh, questions as to what it looked like during the independence war, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the Israelis bought the land. They bought the land. And I just want you to remember this. The Israelis didn't want the Muslims to leave. They didn't want them to leave. The whole point of this thing was that they would live together. That's what the Declaration of Independence for Israel states. And so it's important to remember that. They didn't want to simply get rid of all the Jew, uh, all the Arab Muslims. No, they were supposed to live together. The question is, what did that independence war look like? Because many of the Arab leaders were actually saying, you Muslims, get up, leave your houses now, and when we defeat the, the Jewish people, then you'll come back in, okay? The problem is they left, and that's what created the refugee crisis. Chris, let's just go back to 2005 again. We have a modern example. We know that there was a $100 million business in Gaza when the Jews ran it. They were willing to turn it over to them, the keys, and help them run it. They smashed it. So since that time that they've been independent, However you want to argue, whatever party is, Hamas, whoever it is, they were independent. Money was sent in. What businesses have been established since 2005 as they've lived in Gaza? Bupkis. Bupkis. That will help the folks here in Lancaster. Bupkis in Yiddish means uh, nada, nothing. Nothing. That, yeah. That's right. And they would have the total freedom to do that. Yeah. Uh, and that's significant. If you go to Israel today, well, even during the war, Friends of Israel has been there during the war, you could go right near the Dead Sea where the land looks useless. And all of a sudden, through drip irrigation and amazing uh, scientists, they're growing out of the sand. You could see it on your buses when you drive by, out of the sand, palm trees in the desert. How's that possible? It's it's an amazing mm -hmm. thing. All right, um, one more question, and then we're oh, going to yeah, do our yeah, Yiddish well, word. One, well, we're doing our Yiddish word. Book. Yes, ma'am. I'll go on book. Bupkis, I like it. Yeah. Uh, we could hear you. Oh, there you go. Give me my book. My Yiddish book. Give me my 
Forgive my speech. I have uh, recently had an issue. Uh, I'm concerned because I understand the existence of Israel to have been founded by some faulty political machinations, and that there were people who came, uh, my forebears, uh, who came to Israel to settle not into an orthodox religious society, but into a civil society mm -hmm. that had room for all fulfillments of good nature. Mm -hmm. And uh, the current uh, political situation propping up Netanyahu, to my limited understanding, is actually a very radical form of orthodoxy that is very militaristic, has been very intimidating to the civil society for decades, and uh, where Israel hasn't been the sweet honey and fruit of life. Can you remind me your name again? Andrea Koff. Andrea, this is a great question. It, it's a very fair question, Andrea, but let's go back to the, uh, when Israel was established. Just as you, you're 100% right. The original government put in when Ben-Gurion came was a secular government. Uh, he was not religious. And immediately after they signed the papers, five nations attacked Israel. So they did go in with great intentions. They were, Ben-Gurion invited the Arab folks who were, they were all called Palestinians, to stay, to thrive. They left, and attacks happened. It was not until probably Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, not Yitzhak Rabin, but uh, Ben-Gurion, who was an Orthodox Jewish person. The Labor Party ruled Israel most of the early part of its history, and contrary to what you'd hope for with that kind of government, they were attacked continually. And so what happened is what happens in our country as well. I could tell you that the United States was isolationist for a long time. World War II happened. There was friction in the United States between those who wanted to remain isolationist and those that saw a threat worldwide that had to be dealt with. And many could argue that what the United States did, in fact, some still do, uh, to end the World War II, we used two nuclear bombs. And so all I'm saying is you could make the argument that the current government elected by the Israelis themselves is too radical for your taste or my taste. You can make the argument in the United States that the current government is too liberal for some of the conservatives that live here. That shouldn't be the point. Other nations attacking you of trying to deny your sovereign yes, 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 right yes, yes. to be in the land gives you a right, liberal or conservative, to protect yourself. I, 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 sorry, go ahead, Andrea. I fully agree with that. The question is, uh, where is love in all of this? What is the nature of war? Mm. What is the nature of anti-Semitism? Because... I mean, it always rolls downhill and hits 100%. the Jews. Yep. I have, you know, I, I don't have a comprehension of it. But then you allude to a, um, a religious, uh, devil-oriented uh, explanation mm -hmm. for what's going on. I hear Armageddon in the distance. 
I, I, I would appreciate it if you have the time, or perhaps another time, that you could speak to the more fullness of the picture of what you think is going on. Because from my point of view, it just looks like Bleak. love has disappeared. Mm. And I can't, fa I can't authorize anyone to destroy the millions of people in Gaza in my name. Mm. I can't authorize the you, world. Let me ask you a question. You, you're, what's your, I, I couldn't authorize millions of people dying. We don't know how many people are dying. We don't have any idea. Uh, and the reason we don't know is because the organization giving the numbers is the same organization that did the things that it did. Israel still isn't sure the exact number of deaths because they take great, uh, they are detailed in terms of making sure they know the exact number of death. But regardless of that, what? Yeah, we don't, I don't believe there's millions of people dying in Gaza. And if the hostages would be returned and Hamas would surrender, the war would be over. I, and I love your what your statement was, too, is that you, you know your history. Israel was actually very much founded on secular principles. 100%. Uh, Ben-Gurion, um, uh, many of uh, uh, Golda Meir. Um, I, in the history, in, on May 14th, 1948, many of the, uh, many of the uh, seculars didn't even want the religious people there. And I love it when they did the Shekinah, uh, how do you say that again? Shekinahnu prayer. They, the religious Shekianu. guy, Shekinahnu prayer, he snuck it in there when he wasn't supposed to. And so I love that. I mean, there's you can. we were talking about the tension among the Jewish people. But the reality is I think the reason Israel is at that point where you're talking about the religious having the power right now, I actually think that's because uh, what has happened over the years is that the West has held up out this idea of a two-state solution like this. And what's happened is they said, see, you guys need to do this two-state solution. You need to do this two-state solution. And you know what happened is, as it keeps going on, Israel would offer an opportunity for a two-state solution, and then they would say no. And then they'd offer it again, no. And, it offer, and you know what happens is it builds up this point where I, you're seeing a massive political shift. It's already taken place in Israel where it once was a very liberal society, now it's so conservative that it elected Netanyahu again, which is just crazy, and his party is incredibly religious. That they didn't, that was not, uh, what do they call that, election fraud. They won that. That means the Israeli people feel a certain way. The problem is it's so tense right now, it's 50-50. It feels like America in Israel right now. So I love that you, you know that, and um, to me, the real love does come from the Lord, um, and the real like the hope that we have from the scriptures, as you're hearing what we're talking about, is not a, a hope of destruction. Uh, we actually believe at Friends of Israel that God has a plan for Israel and the Jewish people according to the scriptures that's grounded in love. It's grounded in compassion and mercy that is actually supposed to not only bless Israel, but it's supposed to bless the whole world. Because God said to Abraham, through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I believe that as a Christian, that came because Jesus is my Savior. He's my Messiah. And here I am, a Gentile, hanging out with a Jewish guy, and we're doing Yiddish words together. But why? Because of the love that came from God. I do think that there is a great love, and that love will produce, it produces a hope eternal 
for the greater things that are coming. That's, and I know you hear all the demise and the anguish and the Armageddon, but all that bleeds way to, or gives way, I should say, to the greatest hope of all, and that's the coming, uh, even the Jewish people believe this, of the Messiah, when peace will reign. You know, the, um, the early Christians, when they left each other, they said, Maranatha. I was raised uh, to believe that Messiah was coming, and when Messiah came, there'd be peace, shalom, and I looked forward to the Messiah. I haven't changed my view. I received Yeshua as my Savior, as my Messiah, and uh, that's why the early believers said Maranatha, which, in other words, even so, come. We are desirous, God is desirous of peace. Man, since sin came into the world, is, is desirous of war, and we don't want that, but uh, as we function in governments, things happen in history, and we have to be—I believe we need to be informed and understand, well, how do we sort through this stuff and come up with a way to cope through the world system that we live in? Uh, I don't even like the word cope. I could tell you that there's no greater peace, regardless of circumstances, than the peace of God that passes understanding. But for those who don't have a, a view of God at all and don't care about God, there's nothing better than no war. You want peace. And we, we agree on that. Uh, it was Golda Meir that said, there will be peace in the Middle East. This is from Golda Meir. When Arab mothers love their children more than they hate Israel. And she was right. She's 100% right. Well, Chris, we'll, we, take we'll talk to you afterwards. Is that okay? We'll talk okay, after. Great. Hey, Andre, that was fantastic. All right, everybody, we end our show like this with a Yiddish word of the day. Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Steve, go right Look, ahead. I'm going to go with a word that uh, happens to warmongers. I thought the end question was a great question. Whoever loves war, who wants war, who's bloodthirsty, all they could think about is war, in my opinion, is a schmo. A schmo? A schmo. A schmo. A schmo <laughs> is a hapless sucker, an ordinary jerk, slightly pejorative, it says. But it could be worse. <laughs> so the word is schmo. Schmo. That's our Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Yiddish word of the day. Everybody, thank you so much for being a part of the Thanks. Jew and Gentile podcast. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, everybody. Cindy, Thanks, thank you so Cindy. much. Hey, listen, be sure to go to foiequip.org, and there you can register for our class next week on Ezekiel chapter 37. You'll be hearing from Ty Perry as he talks about the dry bones resurrecting. We're so thankful for that. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll see you next week.